Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Our guest today is Sharon Plover. Sharon is my brand new friend and who has been on a major expedition for knowledge. Her travels have brought her throughout India and the shores and villages of Indonesia. She has studied the works of greats like Wayne Dyer, Don Miguel Ruiz, Eckhart Tolle, and other awakened masters. She is also a certified facilitator in the work of Byron Katie. Sharon is a medium and has been trained at the Arthur Finley College and has learned from some mediums like Tony Stockwell, Colin Bates, Matthew Smith, Heather Scavada, Diana Palm, and many more. This woman definitely has a thirst for knowledge and a passion to help us understand ourselves and live authentic lives. I'm so happy I get to introduce her to you and find out why she believes that we don't die. Sharon Plover, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you, Sandra. It's a pleasure to be here with you, and that was a lovely introduction. Aww, I appreciate it. Yeah, and we were introduced to our mutual friend and tutor, Matthew Smith. Indeed. Mr. Matthew Smith. Yeah, so yes, I'm happy, so happy that we get to connect this way. Where do we begin? That's a good well, question, isn't it? Because it, it is. Yeah. Have you always been in? You sound like you've been somebody who's always been interested in being human and figuring things out. Um, yeah, why don't you tell your story? So, in a nutshell, I can look back and, and recognize that when I was quite young, my intuitive gifts were already in play, yet I think it petrified my mother. So, through her, they kind of got shut down. I recall specifically when we were traveling through different villages of Italy, I was telling my parents ahead of time what the next town was going to be like. And I think that freaked her out a little bit. Fast forward through the years, after my mother passed from this lifetime, I was having a conversation with an aunt about a vague recollection I had of my grandmother and a woman who I thought came to the house with her crystal ball, only to be informed that it was in fact my nana who had the gift of being able to see into the crystal ball and deliver messages. How I wish I had have known that while she was still in the land of sure. the earthly living. And yes, I've always been interested in what we call the occult or mystical side of life, never really fully knowing why or understanding why mm -hmm. until my own close experience with my son's passing last year. And in that moment of being informed about his death, I had no resistance to it. I had already been told this was this was coming at some point in my future, and I'm aware that I was resisting that, but I knew it was perfect. How did I know that? Yeah. How did I know that he should have been dead, so to speak? Because he was. And to argue with that would just be to resist life and what is. And I made a decision then and there that I would never lose the connection with my son. I, I know that we live on. 
how do I know that? I just know that. Well, now I know differently in as much as through mediumship and making my own connection with the spirit world. But I knew in that moment. I also, if I may interject a little bit of humor, yes. we, all, we all use email. And when you're typing to whom you're sending it to, oftentimes if they're in your address book, it will pop up some name choices. And one day I was getting ready to send my daughter a note and her name is Natasha. And as I typed the N-A, one of the name choices came up, Nana at Big Fluffy Clouds. How do I know we're eternal? There's my Nana telling me she's around me all the time. You know, how many Nanas are at BigFluffyClouds.com? So that's really funny. It was. And of course, I had to send a note to that to see if it was legitimate and bounce back undeliverable to that email address. So I thought that was kind of comical. But after my son passed, I started really actively pursuing mediumship and have since learned that I can and do take myself to a higher energetic level where I'm connecting with other people's loved ones. And it's such an honor and it's such a privilege to be able to do that. I know me as an initially grieving mother, because of course there's the sadness associated with the physical loss of my son and wanting to hug him and hear his voice on the phone, yo, 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 one more time. He gives me signs all the time. I I can be sitting in my office and the lights will be flashing off and on or the fan will go high and low and high and low by itself. Or uh, recently I was laying in bed and I was thinking about him and I said to myself, Shaw, if you are here with me right now, would you give me some really concrete sign? And the cat got up from the foot of the bed, ran across to me, jumped on my chest, and put her paws on my shoulders in this big hug. And of course, that was him letting me know that he was able to merge with her. So now I'm pestering the cat to death, of course, because I want more (laughs) more, more signs. And he seems to be obliging when he's in the mood. But uh, how cats are, yes. Indeed. You know, I know what it's like from the from the aspect of of the physical loss of someone that you deeply love and care for. And so for me to be able to make this connection with someone's loved ones and bring through evidence. It isn't just like, oh, your dad's here and he's saying, I love you. It's truly bringing information through that the spirit decides that they want me to pass along to their loved one that nobody else would know except those two connecting. And it's just wonderful to be able to to be the voice for them. It feels like a miracle at some levels. Do you have any examples, Sharon? I I know you don't, there's confidentiality and things like that. Um, I know myself, uh, even though I too have been on a journey to learn mediumship, but I have been disappointed by some mediums that just seemed like they were grasping at straws and not blaming them. There might not have been a good connection with my loved ones, but like what kind of, like maybe you have a couple of stories, like for instance. I do. I, do. I have um, someone who's very close to me who is a 
um, licensed psychologist, and some of his patients have lost their loved ones. And I use that term lost loosely because uh-huh. they never really go anywhere. And they were interested in connecting. So I met with a few of these patients and or clients for me. And the one gentleman, his father came through and it, this man whom, who was my sitter, he had been an attorney and came from a family of very book-learned people, unbeknownst to me at the time. He's had a couple of sessions with me now. And as his father came through, one of the memories that he shared was when this young, when this man was a young boy, his dad took him to the old-fashioned soda fountains like the Woolworths used to have. Mm-hmm. And I shared this. I thought the man was going to jump off of his chair. He was so excited. He goes, I remember that. I remember. He was quite young. He says, I take my, I've taken my kids there too. And then there were other things that came through about the education and academia. And um, I can't remember the other specific shared memories. But there was no way. I, I did never met this man in my life. And this information coming through brought this man to tears, the memories were so genuine and so sincere. Um, his father had had, I think it was emphysema towards the end, and I f- personally felt the physical sensations of the difficulty of the breathing, and I was able to confirm for him that his father had had uh, breathing challenges at the end, and he actually passed very peacefully, and his son was around him and other family members. There was another woman that it was her aunt that I brought through. And one of the memories or mementos that she talked about was an enameled peacock brooch. And I could see this brooch in all of its colors and glory. And this woman was in Canada. So this was through Skype. And She said, oh, I remember that. I was young. She said, my mother said it was cursed, so she sold it. She said it was probably worth a fortune. Now, that's very unique and very specific to that individual as one of the shared memories um, and mementos that she left behind for the family. And this woman who was receiving the reading had been early adolescent at the time that her aunt had passed from this lifetime. So it's a great memory for her. And there have been others where I've been given the image and it's it's up to me to interpret the when I get a visual image. Mostly I give it the way it's given to me because how I might interpret it might not necessarily be exactly as I'm seeing it. So, for example, if I'm, I know now, if I'm given the word sheep and I see a field like a pasture with a wooden railing fence around it, oftentimes that's to get me into, oh, I see this image and in this woman's case too, an image of when she was quite young, walking through the field, this pasture, with the ant. And I now know for me, if I hear the word sheep, it's referring to a pasture scene or a field where they were walking. So part of it's up to 
how spirit gives me the message, me interpreting it and putting it out there. It doesn't have to make sense to me. It only has to make sense to the sitter. You know, I could hear a bucket of ice cubes and that doesn't mean anything to me, but to you, that could mean a time when you were taking a bucket of ice cubes down to the beach for a party you were having or something in conjunction with the other information that comes through. I'm very mindful of the information coming through me as well. It's not me who's, it's not me who is giving these words. It is spirit giving the message to me. And for me personally, and I know each medium receives in different ways, different of our senses are more highly attuned than others. Mostly I hear and I see images and on occasion I have very distinct smells associated. I've smelled roast beef dinners. Mm-hmm. I've smelled cheesy feet or cheesy smelling feet, I should say, bad feet smell. Oh my goodness. I've smelled different perfumes, and while I might not recognize it, I can describe sort of it's a floral scent or it's a musky scent, and it's up to my sitter to recall who who it is or relate it to the person who's giving this information to me. And it's it's uh it's not me who controls what spirit says. It's not any medium who controls what spirit says. Spirit gives us the information that's important for them to give to the sitter, if that makes sense. I know we learned this in the Arthur Finley College, but can you describe in your own words what the process is like? Are there helpers for our loved ones to help them put pictures and smelly, cheesy feet in your mind? It's it's my understanding that when we leave the physical form we are met by our loved ones and we are met by helpers because we never stop learning just because we leave the physical form and go into a new energetic form we are eternally learning so yes there are others up there they for spirit to learn to to actually be a voice like electronic voice projections Mm -hmm. or for them to manipulate the lights or to be able to merge into one of our pets and demonstrate themselves that way or apport things, make objects appear. They do have to go through a learning curve to do that. They have to shift their energies in different ways, similarly to how we as mediums have to shift our energy to a higher level for spirit to connect with us, they're lowering their energies a little bit. And I don't know, I really can't honestly tell you all what they learn up there because I'm not there yet. But they do go through a learning curve, most definitely. Yeah. And they want to communicate with us as much as we want to communicate with them. They are very interactive in our daily lives. And even if we're not aware of it, be assured they are here with us. That's such good news. It is good news. They know exactly what's going on, and they love when we talk to them. Just because we can't physically see them anymore doesn't mean to stop all conversation with them. That when, we, when we leave this physical plane, all the lesser emotions are left behind. Those are 
emotions we experience in physical form, the depression, the anger, the sadness, we move into a realm of instant love and lighter energy once we make our physical transformation. And when spirit is perceiving us here in our physical plane, they're well aware of the earthly emotions that we feel. They're not feeling them the way they used to, though. They're just simply observers at that point. So when we're sad, they know we're sad. They understand the emotion. They don't feel it like that anymore. So they're simply shining on us with love, just pure, truly unconditional, no strings attached, do it my way, don't do it my way. None of that. It's just pure love that they have for us. And they're there to help us as well as our guides and other energies that are there for us. So instead of falling into, for me personally, when my son died, I had an option of, oh, poor me, look at me and tell my story. My son died and feel sorry for myself. Or I had the choice to say, I'm not going to be a victim to my thoughts. There's nothing to be a victim of. He's eternal. He still lives. And I'm going to keep talking to him. I'm going to ask for his input. I'm going to ask his opinions on things. I'm going to ask for his guidance. And it shows up in different ways. So the adjustment, at least for me, the adjustment that I've had to make and still continue to make is attuning to his new energy in as much as me becoming more observant to my surroundings. So if I ask, if I ask for something, and I'm blanking out to give an example here, but if I, if I ask him a, a simple example, I joined a gym. He used to be a total gym buff, bench pressing 300 pounds, et cetera, wow. et cetera. So I'll say, okay, I have little eight pound weights at home. I said, Shaw, show me, What's the best routine? Well, all of a sudden, I kid you not, I'm doing this little number with my weights that would have never occurred to me before. But it's a little set of 12 different times, and it's perfect. And I can see it's building muscles in my arms. Now, I know I didn't know how to do that. And I'm confident because I asked my son to show me a simple routine. He's seeing my life from a bigger picture than I am. So he's giving me an exercise that's not too taxing, something I can do, and that's giving me the desired result. So I'm aware enough to realize it's him helping me in that moment. So again, it's, it's allowing ourselves as we move out of that initial bereaved feeling into a broader more expansive consciousness so that we can see them, our loved ones, around us. The evidence is all around us. It's just in a new format, if you will. It hasn't been that long, really, has it, since Shaw? Last August. So a year. Yes. Yes, one year. And um, I talk to him every night. Before I go to sleep, I tell him, I, I'm going to see you in my dreams, because I know that's a great time when we let go and, mm-hmm. and we go to, uh, to other realms to rest and regroup. And so if I have any questions on my mind, I take them to him. Um, mostly, though, I just know that he's around me. I live in the place that he actually physically died in. And in the beginning, I let my 
human thoughts really take over on that one. And I found that I was causing myself to suffer. I was just wallowing in some self-pity on some days. And I thought, this isn't helping me and it's not helping him because I'm treating him like he's gone forever when I wallow in that. And he hasn't. So it really does take that conscious effort to recognize that, to really understand that we are eternal. How do I know that? I bring these messages through from people's loved ones. I I see the evidence of my own son. And this isn't woo-woo make-believe stuff. This is real stuff. If you had have told me eight years ago, ten years ago, that I would be doing any of what I do today, mediumship, Akashic Records, the work of Katie, I would not have believed you at all. It was the farthest thing from my mind. And I really do believe that the bigger picture in my son's passing was the catalyst to move me into this path that I do believe that I've always meant to be on. Couldn't see it until that moment. And that very strong desire I have to keep this connection with him open in a conscious way is why I'm now doing mediumship. So the mediumship all came after his death. It did. I mean, it's it amazing came. how much you've done in one year. Yes, indeed. Or, and maybe not. Maybe it's not amazing. Maybe it's really wow. the norm. Yeah, I don't, but what it's showing me, and I want to ask you something else is, all um, working, all your explorations and all the things you've done, somehow um, I'm getting the feeling that they laid a foundation for kind of who you are spiritually. Now, maybe not in the life after death stuff, but um, the studying with, say, Wayne Dyer and Don Miguel Ruiz and uh, becoming a facilitator with Byron Katie, was that all before? Yes, the Byron Katie was in 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 the works. So no pun intended there. It was all I was already involved in that. That is funny. Maybe you can explain what that is. I know what that is, and I have the iPhone app for Byron Katie. (laughs) Um, But you want to explain a little bit what that is because it's it's brilliant, and she's brilliant. Indeed, and in a nutshell, the work is. Four questions and what's called turnarounds. And it's taking any thought that causes suffering and questioning it, just finding out if it's even true. And it's not about making anything go away. It's just simply seeing if what you've been believing all this time is true. And my personal experience with this has been things that formed a pattern when I was a child, a belief that I took on that I've carried all these years and it's manifested through all my relationships. And then I've taken it into inquiry with the four questions and realized that that was never true to begin with. It was simply a belief that I told myself and believed all these years. And the freedom that I've experienced, the aha moments that I've experienced, the healing that's taken place, relationships, most of us 
have had issues with our mothers and or our fathers and or our siblings when we were young and they've come with us through our lifetime and they end up into our present day relationships and we all every human being has been trained to look for love approval and appreciation outside of ourselves and we'll never find it there it really is an inside job and as katie says in her book loving what is it's not your job to love me it's my job to love me and you could put any other word in there it's not your job to like me it's not your job to support me take care of me nobody else can know how to do any of those things for you better than you know how to do it for yourself and we are all mere images of each other so what i see in you that i love and like is a quality that resides in me as well and equally if i see something in you that makes me want to draw back that i'm not really keen on i too have that quality in me and whether it's an active thing that i'm doing or whether i'm thinking it i'm there doing it as well and in recognizing that i've come to the point where i'm less judgmental less opinionated i think not only twice but i think 3 4 5 6 times before i'm getting ready to say something to someone to check in with myself somebody can walk up to me now and say well you're a real horrible person and in the past i would have been reactive to that got right back in their face and been argumentative now i can pause get still and find where they're right i can find times when i've been a horrible person wow and what i want from people is to tell me the truth how can i be upset if you're simply telling me what i want to hear which is the truth wow that that is so different from reacting and biting back when somebody says that and sharon i can't help but think you having this foundation of being involved with the work of byron katie and those four questions tremendously helped you through your grieving process very much so because very, very, you so. said this in the beginning um that you you recognized what was going on in your head and you weren't going to be a victim to your thoughts that is so profound and most of us uh don't even realize that we spend most of our lives being a victim to our thoughts thinking our thoughts are the truth very and, much and to be able to kind of rise above and look at what your thoughts are and say i don't have to listen to that it is super empowering i mean i think that's is really important conversation um and yes byron katie's work is awesome because it gets you to question the reality of your beliefs so i think it's so powerful and and it's just you're living in your own shoes and you've walking your own path since shaw died however from an outsider's point of view it's like holy cow this woman has done so much in one year and is now giving so much and becoming a medium and everything else you do to help other people that 
I mean, there's some real gold inside of this for, um, there's, there's something we can do, I'm sure, to recognize our thoughts and not be empowered by them. I, I, I want to hear more about that, and I'm just not sure what to ask you. <laughs> so I can share that in Katie's foundational book, her, her first book, Loving What Is, it is about checking in with reality. It talks about the four questions, which are really, is it true? Can you absolutely know it's true? How do you react and what happens when you believe that thought? And who would, who or what would you be without that thought? So as you, it's a form of meditation. And when you really sit, so the first question, let's use my son for an example. Shaw shouldn't be dead. Is it true? My first answer would be a yes. Can I absolutely know it's true he shouldn't be dead? And I have to think on this. Can I absolutely know it's true? Well, no, I can't absolutely know it's true that he shouldn't be dead. Mm. How do I react and what happens when I believe he shouldn't be dead? Well, I fall into victim mode. I treat myself like his self-appointed savior. I treat myself like it's my fault he died. I treat him like he's the victim. I treat him like he did something wrong and so on. And so my body contracts, I cry, and my throat's constricted. Who would I be without that thought, Shaw shouldn't die? Relaxed, accepting, knowing his death was about him and not me. recognizing he's still very much alive and I can connect to him if I so desire. I'm free. I have peace of mind. So then you move on to turnarounds. Shaw should be dead. Now, what's an example of the truth of that? Well, because he is. He's, he's dead from the physical earth. And to argue with that is simply to resist what is. And who's suffering if I do that? Me. Mm -hmm. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be that victim. I have a choice on my, it's all perception. My perception is he's eternal. He's still very much around me. It's how we choose to look at things. And it's always our perception, right? You could be driving down the road one day and somebody cut you off and you think, oh, silly Billy, you know, you (laughs) must be angry. Or they can cut you off another day and you could be in a different frame of mind and say, wow, you so-and-so kind of thing. It's just same situation, just different perception. And it's not the externals that's changed. It's us that changes. That's why I say it's an inside job. And when you continue to practice this, it's not even the right word. When you continue to live consciously and you learn to question any thought, so anytime you get triggered by somebody, something gets triggered, you, f- you feel anger or you feel defensive, instead of lashing out, if we can just get still a moment and find out what in that moment was reflected back to me about me, So in other words, in that moment, what was I believing about myself? Almost all of the time, it's some form of not enough. So if I'm looking through a Vogue magazine and I see these lovely, slender, Mm -hmm. fabulous-looking girls, I could easily go into the mindset, I 
my physical appearance isn't pretty enough, isn't nice enough. Anytime we compare, anytime I'm in somebody else's business, I'm going to suffer. If I'm, And that's the other thing. Katie teaches, and I truly subscribe to this, or not teaches, she has this mindset. There are three kinds of businesses, your business, my business, and God's business. And I can tell you 100% of the time when I'm suffering, it's because I'm in someone else's business. Only always. And it's the same with all of us. If you're in your own business and you're happy and you're doing your own thing, you're fine. The minute you start thinking about your mother or your friend and they should be doing it this way and blah, 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 now you're in their business. They don't even know you're having the mental conversation. And who starts to suffer? You. We do, yep. And how how insane is that? (laughs) You know, we can all be very happy just by staying in our own business. Who are we to dictate to another how they should engage in their own life? And yet we do it all the time. All the time. And there's no freedom in that. No, there's not. And I, I love some of the things that you've said that we look for love, approval, and appreciation outside of ourselves. All and that right. we're never going to find it. That's right. And even thinking the same form of not enough, as I'm 50 years old now, and I've done a lot of neat stuff and taken lots of neat courses and have this show, and you have no idea in a given day how much that not enough shows up. And I'm not really conscious about it, except for now that we're talking about it. I'm like, oh, that's why I was stewing on this or that or the other thing. Um, you are... Again, you're living in your own shoes, so I don't know if you really recognize how cool this is, but by training yourself in this methodology and moving yourself through grief, now I'm sure you miss your son and you miss him physically because you can't help that. I mean, that's, that's human, but that you have been able to do so much, learn so much, and now give in such a short period of time is really extraordinary. And I do believe it's because you've had this foundation to work with. Thank you. You're welcome. And I want it. (laughs) So I will. (laughs) And it's available to everyone. Yes. It's a choice. It is a choice. You can choose to live as a victim and wallow in the grief. And I just want to bring this, reiterate what I said. I... I had a very clear thought in that, oh, poor me, self-pity party for one, I was not making my son's death about him. I was making it about me. And very clearly, his death was not about me. It was his life path, his journey, and he chose that moment to exit. He completed whatever he came here to do. Mm. And that was not in my control or my choice or anything else. So I have, in the, in a form of honoring him, if you will, I, I acknowledge that. And so I let his death not be about me in that sense. It's become about me in only in as much as having developed my skills as a medium and being able to offer out to others an opportunity for their loved one to communicate with them and vice versa. I, as a, as a mother, still love to hear messages from my medium friends, from my son. I like, <clears throat> I haven't 
tuned into hearing him, and I use the term hearing loosely, yet I see all the other physical, I get tons of physical evidence, but to have that conversation, I can have that through medium friends, and I know the value of that. So again, for me to be able to give that gift, to be, to be selected by the Spirit that chooses to come through me, I'm so humbled by that. I, am, I really am. I'm in awe to be able to do that. There, there aren't even, to say it's a privilege just doesn't even seem a big enough word for how, for how I feel at being able to offer this to people. It truly means so much to show and hear that our loved ones are eternal. It just proves what we've been hearing, and yet at some level through religious training and other training that we've had, we hear we are eternal beings, and it doesn't quite sink in with us. For most people, when their loved one leaves the physical plane, they think that's it. They think it's all ended, and it hasn't. And the evidential mediumship is a clear indicator of the eternalness of all of us. Hmm, that's really great. What are you most passionate about now? Is it doing readings with people? Or are you studying something? Or where are you going in your quest? I think there's more to come that I'm not yet aware of. I think all of this is leading up to something else. But if I had to sound passionate about anything, it's in helping people question their thoughts. There's so much suffering, so much suffering. And all of the suffering is simply because we're believing our thoughts. And when we learn to get in touch with questioning them to see if they're even real, if we bring the, if we think about the past and stuff that happened that was less than stellar, that was very painful from our past. Mm-hmm. I think, and I know other others have said this, and I'm simply repeating and confirming, we bring that past into the present. Well, why on earth would we want to do that? Why would we want to keep ourselves suffering? We just keep reviving an old thought without even questioning it. And if I project into the future that doesn't even exist. Now I can get into terrorizing myself with further thoughts. And I've learned, I've at least trained myself to look at the word fear, the synonym doubt. And if I replace the word fear with the word doubt, it softens it. Hmm. So if I say, oh, I'm afraid of snakes, well, what I'm really doubting is that that snake isn't going to turn around and bite me, for example. Well, first of all, I don't even know if it will or if it's poisonous or if it has the capability of. So I'd have to question it. So just by using the word doubt, that softens it, takes the danger element out of it. So now I can look at it a little more rationally. Now I can start questioning it. And that's helped me tremendously. And and hopefully just hearing that tidbit can help others as well. But I'm projecting into a future that doesn't exist. So that comes back to what I said a few minutes ago. If I'm just here in my own business right now, this conversation with you, there's nothing threatening in this, Mm -hmm. nothing disturbing me. I'm not projecting backwards or forwards. I'm here, and it's peaceful. And it's my belief that everybody is looking for peaceful thoughts. 
Yes. And we don't always go about it in a way that's comfortable, that brings us the peaceful thoughts that we're looking for. And so if we can learn to question, again, the thoughts that cause suffering, and it only takes a few minutes to question, and sometimes you can get to your, yourself to the point where you can even just say, can I absolutely know what I'm, what I'm thinking right now is true? And usually the answer is, no, you can't 100% know what you're thinking right now is true. And that alone can just shift you into another track of thinking that's much more pleasant. And then the mediumship really dovetails with that because the people that come to see me or connect with me on Skype at some level have an element of doubt that their loved one is still alive right. somewhere. And in evidential mediumship, where you are bringing through concrete pieces of information that are evidence of their loved one, um, I know you asked me before another, I'll give you an example. I was in a, in a class one time, and the exercise we had was to let spirit look through our eyes and direct our attention that way. And as I gazed around the room, my eyes lit on different things. And one of the things was a pair of bluebirds on the wall. And I told the woman I, I was connecting with her brother. And I said, he's drawing my attention to those bluebirds. And the next thing that came was, he's telling me you love blue jays and cardinals and she said I do I do I love those birds you know I could have been any bird but it was he was showing me those bluebirds and giving me that and I went around the room and there were other things he directed my attention to and the last piece of evidence he gave me there was a, a stand of candles in in glass this beautiful royal blue glass holders and he kept my gaze on those and the next thing that he gave me was that shade, that particular shade of blue, was his favorite color, and he'd left behind a shirt in that particular shade of blue. And the woman said, oh, my God, I have that shirt. It was his favorite shirt, his oh. favorite color. You know, I don't know these people. Mm -mm. I've never met these people before. I could not know that. So there's clear evidence being given through evidential mediumship that your loved one does exist. So this too removes the doubt, It that questioning mind and doubtful mind, and that form of mediumship lets them know our eternalness. There's so many beautiful ways to help people question their thoughts, get the answers, and change their perception and find that peaceful thinking that they're looking for. Just by discussing that we are not our thoughts and that our thoughts may not be true, I think is... It's always a good reminder for me because it's so easy to buy into what comes from my mind must be the truth. No way, Jose. Right? I, I agree with that. And now to, to stir this pot a little bit. Stir it up, baby. I also subscribe to the belief that our thoughts are very powerful and do have the ability to create our futures to some degree. 
So if you want to see what your life's going to look like five years from now, just look at the kind of thoughts you're having today. If they are steeped in negativity and sadness and drama, there's in all likelihood five years from now, you're still going to be steeped in drama, negativity, etc. If you begin to shift your thinking and you start seeking out more uplifting, more positive things, not to say stick your head in the sand and live in la-la land, but you, you can turn your attention from the negative. You don't have to sit and watch the morning or evening news or get caught up in the office gossip about the negativity or how does that help you anyhow? It doesn't, but you can turn your attention to the happy little furry puppy story or have a good laugh with a friend or watch some uplifting movie about happiness and love and again not in la la land but in a very real way and you will begin to change your own energetic vibration and if you continue along that vein naturally law of attraction will remove those not so positive people from your life and bring you more people that you're more aligned with on an energetic level. And there's peace, peace in that too, peacefulness, I should say, in that as well. Sharon, I may have mentioned this to you when we talked several days ago, and I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but I had read a book called The Magic by Rhonda Byrne, who wrote The Secret. And the premise of it it's a 28-day gratitude process. So every day you woke up and you wrote 10 things you're grateful for. And then there would also be like the homework for the day would be thinking about health or something like that. And so there would also be other little bits of homework about gratitude. Even paying bills, there was gratitude about paying bills. And, and it, it sounds a little wacky, but the bottom line to all of this is by – doing these maybe 10 minutes a day of whatever the exercise was, it changed my outlook for the day. And I started looking for things that I was grateful for. Yeah. And in shifting my thoughts, because I'm not even realizing like this is exactly what happened. I shifted my thoughts. And for 28 days, I lived in a time where there was so much joy um, so many of those cool synchronicities, like those people showing up in my life and good things happening. And for me, you know, it's, it'd be a good thing to <laughs> reread it. Um, but also just knowing that we can be the captain of our ship and control which thoughts we have. And that was just an exercise for me. But looking back on it, seeing how powerful it was, because it really forced me to change my thinking in, in like a positive way. Mm -hmm. And then the results followed. So in five years, I want to be living a great life. And if I'm listening to the thoughts that are going through my head on this particular day, that's not going to happen. So this exactly. is just the perfect conversation. Hmm. And if I may add to that. Yeah. We, we needn't stop at just 28 days. I, too, maintain a gratitude book. I just buy a little composition book from any local pharmacy or Dollar General or something like that. And at the top, I write the date and I write, I'm grateful for. And as I'm writing, I stop when it feels like I'm struggling to find things. But I remember to write, and I do it first thing in the morning with my coffee, things like, 
I'm grateful for my bed and for my pillow and for the good night of sleep that I get. And mm -hmm. I, I'm grateful for my healthy pets. And we forget, some, we, sometimes people get caught up in looking for big things, just those simple things. I'm grateful for food in the fridge and bottled water and, you know, just anything. I'm, I'm, there's so many things to be grateful for. And that's a wonderful way for me to start my day. And it's raised my energy already. And generally, the rest of the day goes really, really well. And even if something crops up in the day that might not have been necessarily on my radar, I find it doesn't bother me. Yet, if I weren't keeping my gratitude book and maybe my energy in a different point, I might have got a little bent out of shape by that hiccup in the day. Not so. Just like you said, when you're in that grateful mode, it's like a positive aspects book that the teachings of Abraham Hicks talks about. You can take even someone that you're not particularly fond of, really, really dislike this person in your mind, and you can find one positive aspect about them. And people say, oh, no, I can't. I really hate that person. Do they have kind eyes? Do they have a nice smile? Do they have a cute nose? Do they have flat ears? You can always find a positive aspect about everything. And when you start turning your thoughts in that direction, like you said, it becomes easier and easier throughout your day. Your attention is just automatically on things to be grateful for. And it's just developing a new, it's retraining yourself away from how you've been previously trained to not look for those things. Hmm, really good stuff. Uh, quickly, if you don't mind mentioning some of these travels that you've had, what kind of expeditions have you been on through India and Indonesia? Is that oh. all these heavy-duty, life-changing, mastering it humanity kind of things? <laughs> India came, came about as a result of one of my uh, co-Byron Katie facilitators. He and his wife had lived in India once upon a time, and I heard him say that he was taking another group. They took a groups of people there every three to five years, and I heard this in March, and they were going in October. So I came home, and I said, hey, honey, how'd you like to go to India? Oh, okay. So I contacted Bob, and I said, hey, would you mind two more people? Now, mind you, I really didn't know this man very well or anything about his group of people. He said, we'd be delighted. So he used a, uh, someone he'd worked with for ages out of California who had, was well-connected there. And that group, unbeknownst to us, were very involved in the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda, who is the, uh, the autobiography of a yogi. So they were on a pilgrimage to all of the places that Paramahansa Yogananda's gurus had been. So it was really a powerful trip for us. While we didn't subscribe to those teachings, the fellowships of self-realization, to be able to do this pilgrimage, we didn't even realize it was a pilgrimage at first, was a true just treasure in life. And we met Indian people over there who they said this was a lifetime event for them to do this kind of a pilgrimage. So it's a real thrill. We were up in the Himalayas at one point in wow. Baba Ji's cave meditating where this beautiful famed Baba Ji was. We were, I think everybody knows or has at least seen 
Um, Ganesha, he's the elephant god. He's got the head with the elephant trunk, several elephant trunks. So we were in his little cave meditating in another area. We were in Varanasi, which is, oh, if, if there had to be one place to say a Mecca of spirituality, that was it. It's the oldest, longest inhabited city in the world. And it was really, really old. And it's the location where the Indian people, even from the States, they would have their loved ones' bodies flown over there after they passed. And they're they're burned on these funeral pyres. And then the ashes are just sort of scattered in the Ganga River. Wow. Um, and then Bali, we went to Indonesia. I went there to... Um, for training on the Akashic Records level one through four for an intensive study on connecting with the Akashic Records, the Akashic Masters tapping into each one of us has a book of life. It's every recorded happening and thought of uh, of all of our lifetimes are documented in the Akashic Records. So I forgot about even talking to you about that. That's pretty cool. So it, uh, so I, I'm, I discovered I have all these latent talents that are coming to the surface. That's why I say I think that this these are stepping stones for me, leading me onward to more and more yet to come. And I just welcome this amazing, incredible journey. And I know you look at it like I've done a lot in a short period of time. And from my from where I'm at, I'm like, oh, I haven't done enough yet. <laughs> so well, never enough. And <laughs> I'm taking you as an inspiration of what's possible. <laughs> Thank you. I, I mean, I've met people that have been grieving for 30 years. and Me too. To, yeah, be able to make a difference and even to help understand what it's about and give people tools that, yeah, our body is going to grieve and we certainly are going to miss people. No doubt about it. Um, but to give another way to live and even, like you say, question your thoughts for the truth Yes. Super empowering and makes a difference in on the court living. You know, it's not yes. just an idea. Oh, Sharon, our time is coming to an end, but do you have any closing thoughts? And if you could let people know how we can get in touch with you. Absolutely. I'd love to. And thank you for giving me this time. I would, dependent on who's listening to this particular segment, I would offer to you that if you're grieving for someone that's passed, it's okay to acknowledge their passing. Certainly, we, we all need to shed those tears. But they truly haven't gone anywhere. They have simply gone from a physical energy form into a more pure energy form. We are all energy. Everything is energy. And they hear you. So talk to them and then get still and listen. You'll hear the responses they will find a way to communicate with you. You've heard some of the examples that I've given. Look for the signs out there. They show up in birds and dragonflies and cats and other pets. And do learn to question your thoughts. If you're suffering over anything, it's simply because you're believing a thought and your thoughts can be changed. And when you change your thought, your whole life changes. Your whole life changes. Think about that. You don't have to suffer. Suffering is optional. Loneliness is optional. Grief is optional. Wow. Great words. And how can we reach you? 
You can reach me through my website at www.aperfectsoul.com. Perfect. Or, is there an or? I was going to give my phone number, but you can actually find that on the website as well. You can just contact me through there. Okay. Thank you. Perfect. Sharon Plover, thank you for being our guest here today. Thank you, Sandra. It's been a pleasure, and I hope this conversation has helped at least one person out there. Yeah, well, I'm your one person. (laughs) (laughs) And I know there's more. And it's interesting because doing this uh, interview with you today, I really wasn't sure what direction it was going to go. And to really start thinking about how far you've come in a year and why I think that is, and just to get on the question, the thought, um, the discussion about questioning your thoughts is just so important and so empowering to really use the material. So for our listener, first of all, thank you for listening today. The episode here with Sharon Plover is episode 112. It's 112. And if you go to and click on episode uh, 112. I have the links to her website and also to that book she mentioned by Byron Katie, if you're interested in that, and just to get some tools to help you with your own life. Um, so in closing, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen today. My name is Sandra Champlain, and I, of course, have been your host on the We Don't Die radio show. And with my heart and soul, I do believe that life is an education for our soul and that every one of our lives here on earth is important. So remember, question your thoughts, and suffering comes from believing some of your thoughts. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon.